Ooh, one of these. Don't say please, fuckhead! Oh, baby. Oh, baby wants to pinch them. Oh, what's the matter? Oh, get him back. Oh, what's the matter? Just a little red, that's all. Oh, get him, let me feel him. Oh, come here. Well, folks, it's been a couple of years since we've been doing this podcast. And we've talked to a lot of directors. Uh, probably John Carpenter, Steven Spielberg. You name them, we've probably kind of mentioned them. Kubrick. Or we've tackled some of their films. Yeah, Kubrick. Uh, but one particular one comes up all the fucking time. <laughs> and that is David Lynch. Yes, indeed. Who is it keeps yes. mentioning him? I don't know, some asshole. <laughs> some prick. <laughs> you know, so I decided what the what the hell is probably his most highest rated film. Uh, everyone seems to love it. And that's Blue Velvet. Yep. We're finally doing Lynch. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> but the agreement is, and he doesn't know this yet, once we do this, he can never, ever mention David Lynch again. <laughs> that what you... <laughs> That which shall not be mentioned ever again. <laughs> That'll be a tough um, one for me. Yeah. So, yep. So I bit the bullet. We're doing David Lynch. Everyone, welcome to Citizen Frame. I'm Kieran, the host, and that is Trevor, the uh, Lynchianian. Yes. Lynchianian. <laughs> the number one fanboy. <laughs> there you go. Uh, um, yeah, you know, I think we. You know, it's tough doing these because. <laughs> well, to be fair, to be fair, Blue Velvet is probably the best one to pick because it's the most linear, or one of the most linear of David Lynch's films. You know, you have the straight story as well, and you know, but you know, things like you know, Lost Highway, Twin Peaks, Far Walk with Me, um, you know, the like you have the likes of Inland Empire as well, Mulholland Drive. I mean, they would not be easy ones to do a podcast on because they're so well out there. You know, well, I mean, the there's the problem. I mean, we talked Cronenberg a couple times, yeah. and I'm not a fan of Cronenberg, but I like some of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly his 80s with the fly scanners. We won't go over them all, but we've talked about it. Yes, and he, but he at least he goes outside the box. He tries something different and makes it his own. Mainly with body horror, and now not, not to mention his fun acting side of it. And he's always loyal to horror. Mm-hmm. So I've always had a, respond, a fondness for Cronenberg because of that. Yeah. Lynch is the opposite for me. Lynch just, he tried to go outside the box with Dune and it didn't work. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time, so I'm not going to judge it. But he obviously had a lot of problems with having to deal with, you know, big budgets. He had problems dealing with producers saying you can't do it that way because Lynch likes to do his own stuff. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. I understand that. But at some point, Lynch just seems becoming a copy and paste kind of director, he, meaning he doesn't try anything new or different. Maybe because of the Dune fiasco, but at the end of the day, just I I feel, and this might be you might agree with this, Trevor. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm listening intently. The way he works, I think, he creates the zany characters first, then he builds the story around the characters. He does the opposite of what most people would do. Build the screenplay, 
with everything, you know. But, and I think that's what does not work for David Lynch. I, I think with Lynch's work, um, now he has he has sort of went outside his own box a couple of times, not very often to be fair. Um, you know, um, you know, with the straight story and Dune, although Dune's quite surrealistic as well. But essentially, there are you know there are running Lynchian themes throughout all of his films, the likes of you know a razor head, you know this blue velvet, um, you know Mulholland Drive and stuff. You know, dreams dreams are a big thing within his um, films. I think his films, um, you said he, he, he comes up with these wacky characters, first of all. I think for me, the, now obviously I don't know the exact, you know, creative process for David Lynch. I mean, only he knows that because he, he famously refuses to discuss a lot about, you know, what his films mean. For, um, for example, the Razorhead and stuff. But I think the impression I get is that it's, um, his stuff are more sort of ideas and uh, he's very much of a sort of more of a visual artist as opposed to you know a writer if that makes sense um but a lot of his stuff are just sort of it, it's like an, um, they're amalgamations of ideas with something of a story running throughout them i mean if you watch inland empire for example or even a razorhead they're, they're prime examples of that however i think with the likes of Twin Peaks and stuff. There's more sort of uh, of an actual story there, if you know what I mean. If, um, yeah, I mean, well, not let's just kind of go into the Blue Velvet and where it kind of spawned here. It where, where it spawned from. It's came out around eighty five, eighty six, and it came out a time where you had what they call film noir styles. We always talk on this podcast about genres coming in clusters. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll have zombie apocalypse being hot for a couple years. You'll have, you know, teenagers taking flight a couple years. You like the last starfighter, flight of the navigator, yeah. the explorers. They all come out in these little clusters. Well, this you had, you had a series of films coming out. Um, Eyewitness, Blue Velvet. Mm-hmm. You had Blood Simple. You had um, there's a couple more, but they're just escaping me that come out, and they they play almost like a old. Film of the Wire. Double identity, double identity yeah. kind of film with Fred McMurray or Barbara Stanwyck or Touch of Evil kind of feel to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally, obviously, in more of a modern setting. Yeah. But they don't really tell you if it's a modern setting. Because this one played like it was in the 50s, but I saw some cars from the 70s and 80s. It, it, see, this is the great thing about Bluefield. One of, one of the great things I find, it's very much a love letter by, in part, a love letter by Lynch to, you know, 50s noir and you know Lynch grew up in the 1950s small town America, so it's it's semi autobiographical as well. Um, however, I just love that it feels like it's set in some sort of alternate universe where it's the modern day, but also like the modern day trapped inside the 1950s. If you know what I mean. Well, you know, a lot of directors do that now. Tarantino's famous for doing yeah. it. Um, and so it's kind of become kind of the norm. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. I uh, Zombie's big on it. Mm-hmm. Zombie won't even tell you what year it is. Yes. He'll pepper in some music from the 70s, and then he'll hear something from the 80s. Yeah, they'll fuck with people's heads a bit, which is great. Yeah, I, I don't mind that. You make it your own universe. That's what you want to do. It's your film. So, but the difference between Zombie and... I bring up Zombie and Tarantino because they have a Lynch style to them. And and it's about the characters. Mm-hmm. All the every film that Zombie or Tarantino touch has zany characters 
Whether you like the film or not, you'll always remember a character in it. Yes. One thing, one issue, and I, I'm a Tarantino fan, but one issue I've always had with Tarantino's films in general, it's not a major issue because I still like it, but it's, um, his almost all of his characters talk like Quentin Tarantino does. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I mean... They're, they're unforgettable characters as well, and he uses little tricks. Um, so that you remember the characters, you know, for example, in well, Kill Bill, when the bride is like literally writing out the names of the characters on a, on a kill list, you know. Well, not even that. He'll always give a character a memorable line yes. or some kind of vice. Like, well, we'll talk about Dennis Hopper, Frank <laughs> Booth's little vice. Yeah. Well, let's just jump into it here. Uh, we're here to talk Blue Velvet. Um, let's talk about the opening scene. Now, his father is uh, watering the grass. Yes. What happens to him? Stroke? He takes a heart attack. Because he grabs his neck. I think I was stung by a bee. No, um, he, he basically takes a heart attack. And that, that opening scene is very, very important in terms of theme and sort of foreshadowing. Because the camera pans down to the grass. and Yes, and you see the, the, the bugs. Yes, that's what it's basically saying that, um, you know, because before that it's all of the... Um, all of the tropes of small town Americana, you know, there's the waving firemen, it's all... The picket fences. Yeah, it's all, you know, yeah. picture perfect. Um, but then, um, it's basically what the film is about. You get in those opening scenes, especially when it pans off under the, the, the um, grass and you see all the bugs fighting. It's basically, while things might look idyllic... Ah, um, the underbelly. Underneath, there is a sinister sort of underbelly okay. and things are quite dark and horrific. And that explains the bird at the end. Yes, yeah, but the bird is okay. also connected to the, um, you know, the speech that Laura Dern gives in the car about her dream. She's talking about her dream, where um, all of the robins um, come down, and you know, all this great love conquers the evil, which ties yeah. in perfectly with the ending. Because this is a dark as hell film. However, towards the end, love conquers all. Oh, no, at the end, love conquers all, and we're back to okay. and we're back to the idyllic sort of, you know, everything's perfect again. All right. Well, that that kind of Answer my question there. What happened to Mr. Beaumont? Well, there we're introduced to Jeff Bo- uh, uh, Beaumont. Yes. And he finds that ear. Yeah. Uh, and and that kind of, that's where everything starts to spiral. Mm-hmm. And he wants to kind of, he, he just, he's curiosity killed the cat. Yes. He wants to kind of solve this thing for himself. He wants to play detective, did, yeah. Even though he did the right thing by going to the police initially. Yeah. Now... You know what's funny? What? I'm watching this, and I saw Laura Dern. Now, a lot of big names would not touch this film yes. because it's pornographic. Yes. That's what they said. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some stuff in it that I frown upon, but I saw a lot worse. I don't get the pornographic really stuff, but I can see where it could be more disturbing than pornographic. Yes, it, 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 it's, it, it deals and, with very serious adult sort of subjects. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the rape scene. With um, you know, but and it's such a surreal sort of bizarre rape scene, you know, with um, when Jeffrey's in the closet and you know Dennis Hopper. Whenever you first see that, and whenever audiences must have first seen that, they must have like. But was went, it a rape scene? In a sort of. I don't think he took his clothes off. No, no. It, it, well, it's more of a sort of. Guys, I, I'm not trying to be. We're talking about the film. Please don't take offense. By oh this. yes, hundred percent. I never say that in the podcast, but. Uh, it looks like he was dry humping her. And I'm, I'm again, please don't be. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I totally. You, you're not being. No, no. We're, we're, we're being serious here. Um, you know, um, hundred um, percent. Yeah, well, it, it is a sort of form of at very least sexual assault. You know. 
Of course it is. Of course that. Yes, I'm not trying to dumb it down. Yeah, but the character, I we'll get into a little more about his character because, mm-hmm. well, it has Laura Dern. Laura, this is one of Laura Dern's first films. Yes. And I'm watching it. I'm like, fucking Laura Dern. Laura Dern. We know her from Jurassic Park and all. She's a regular and collaborator then, with Lynch. I know. So it dawned on me. I love a film she did a couple of years later called Wild at Heart Lynch with film. Willem Dafoe and Nicolas Cage. And I'm like, oh, I love that film. Chris Isaac wrote the theme music. Yeah. I was like, this is a really cool film. I just found out that that's David yes, Lynch. Yes, yes. So I actually do like a David Kieran's Lynch Kieran's a David Lynch fan. Yes. <laughs> One film. Uh, I have to watch it again. I haven't seen it in years, but I remember owning it and watching it because Defoe's character was so vile in it. Yeah. Well, Lynch always has these horrific sort of um, villains in um, almost all of his films. You know, here we have Dennis Hopper as Frank Booth. We have Dick Laurent stroke um, Mr. Eddie in Lost Highway. We have Defoe in Wild at Heart. We have, you know, Killer Bob and Leland Palmer in Twin Peaks for Walk With Me. So, yeah, this is a running theme. With Lynch, yeah, intense, I mean, exactly. intense, vile villains, you know. And Laura Dern, I don't, I'm not a big Laura Dern fan, but I like her in this. Mm-hmm. She is more of the opposite of the world we're going about to get into. Yes. Um, with Dorothy and Frank and the gang. Well, she, she's and innocent, you know. She she's the innocent one, always wearing pink, soft colors, yeah. and and uh, that's the grounded family because he's the she, lead she, detective that he goes to first. Who's a decent character? She rep- thought he was going to yeah. be. Thought he was going to be a douche, but he ends up being a yeah. good character. He represents the um, idealistic sort of small town America, you know, that yeah. we see at the start. And you've got all these over the top characters, but I'm going to be, besides Dean Stockwell's great cameo, yes. like see Brad Dorif, even though he's a small part, yeah. and you obviously Dennis Hopper. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say the two leads here are horrible. I am not Isabella Orzellini, who I, I like her, and I, I liked her in Death Becomes Her. And Kyle McLaughlin to me is one of the worst actors ever. Right. He I is the disagree most strongly with that. Boring, boring actor. I think he's very charming. Ever watched. Oh, dear. God. And I think he has a great presence. Isabella Rossellini uh, is more of a sort of, she's not like a sort of big lead. She's, she's a, uh, more of a sort of, she's playing a character here as opposed well, she's to. A, I, I think the, the character is a bit sort of hard to warm to um, herself. I didn't know. I don't think I that's Rosalini's fault, but I yeah, you might be right. But at the end of the day, both these characters are bland, and quite frankly, they should be the ones that have more. Like I, the problem I had with this was mainly with Jeff's character, the uh, uh, Kyle's character. Yeah. Not only is he bland and boring. But when he goes up and he decides he wants to solve this for himself, and he goes in and takes the keys, and then he goes back in. Why? Why did he go back in? Why? why I forgot. Why did he want to go in? Why did he think to go to her place in the first place? It's a bit. And I rewatching it for the podcast. I did think it was a bit. I was like almost trying to put myself in, uh, into his shoes and say, "Well, you know, he seems like quite wide-eyed, sort of innocent." Would he really be as brave and as dirty as that? So I think, I think, but but I think there's definite suggestions that the character is of Jeffrey um, is much has a dark has a real dark side as well. Because even whenever Isabella Rossellini during their sex scene, she's saying "hit me, hit me," and he won't do it. But then eventually he does a couple of times. The next um, day he cries because he realizes 
he's he, he has a dark side he realizes that there's, there's a real dark side to him and he doesn't want to become like fucking frank booth and that's why he cries because he, well, i know that but doesn't ask my question you're going out the town i mean why did he figure to go to her apartment what why did he go from the ear lord Dern told him sandy told him what what's she saying again? Oh, I missed that in the car. Yes, um, Sandy told him that it was um, connected to um, her, um, she she her father's office is below her bedroom, so she had overheard yeah. details of the case, and she it was her that she um, she even sort of confirmed later on, you know, whenever she regrets her her deep, um, Jeffrey's getting involved in this. She says this is all my fault for basically telling you. That's why she sticks with him. Um, because basically she overheard her, her father's conversations about the case, and that it was her that le- um, led Jeffrey okay. to Dorothy Valen's apartment. Basically, here's 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 where the the movie falls flat. You have a couple of fun characters. I say fun <laughs> loosely. Yeah, but at the end of the day, there's absolutely no tension in this entire film. Oh, I think it's ever. I think the tension is unbearable at times. And, and I mean, that oh the, my gosh, stop! Oh, it's it. deeply intense. Uh, no, what, what? Oh, here's the lighthouse all over. <laughs> there is no intensity in this film. No, no, there. Uh, um, no, no, first of all, to have to have tension in a film, mm-hmm. you have to give a shit about the characters. I cared about none of. I cared about. Them. Now, Jeff if you put, if you put, I did not. If you put Laura Dern in his role, mm-hmm. like if you put Laura Dern's character in that apartment when Frank Booth comes back. Oh, then out there's tension because you liked her character. But I like I like. But Jeffrey. I have to give a fuck about this guy. This guy's already cheated on Laura Dern. He's already become kind of part of that group. And you're right; he does break down, knowing he's, is it's like you know he's becoming addicted yes. to this, mm-hmm. to what they are. And I got that scene. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, he still did what he did. Yes. But, so, but he's still a young, sort of it. naive, um, man. Um, and and you sort of, I mean, that scene in the apartment whenever. Um, first of all, Dorothy comes back, and then Frank comes in. That's fucking some serious tension. And I, I, I genuinely, I, I, I believe no one can do tension like Lynch throughout his films. I mean, some of the scenes in, in his other films and stuff, their masterclasses in tension. That scene in the apartment for me. I mean, each to their own. I mean, far enough. If it didn't work for you, yeah. far enough. Um, but no, no. Um, and, and I, I don't want to say relate to Jeffrey because he is quite a. He's basically a bit of a sort of. A, a voyeur you know there's uh, voyeurism going on there but uh, you can relate to him in that he's sort of wide eyed innocent who's got him who's trying to play detective but then all of a sudden he's got himself in way too deep and he's, he's now slap bang in the middle of the adult world and it's dark as hell um, um, yeah he, he's not but I like that, he, that he's not completely sympathetic or likeable because that makes him more real to me um, you know but um, no, I found a lot of the scenes deeply um, intense. And then there's that scene where he goes to the police station where he's going to spill all the beans to Sandy's father. And he, he goes to walk in and do it. And there's fucking yellow man sitting there. That's a big shock. Uh, uh, no, it's not. No, it's not uh, well, at all. I mean, it and then the whole thing where... And, uh, and, then, and then Lynch was the whole... He, he's, he never tells you. Lynch uh, said in an interview, nobody knows what Hopper is sniffing. Yes, um, snorting. He won't, t- but he did give it away. He did finally say it's helium, and he goes, "The only reason I was it not originally dose- no, no." Well, what I read anyway, it was originally. He said no. He said it was it was supposed to be a small dose of helium. He's picking. He's not like taking the whole thing yeah. because he he wanted it was Dennis Hopper after he smoked. It's supposed to come up 
like a childlike, yes, an infant when he when he smoke when he when he snorts it, and they go, whatever. Mommy, and mommy. yes, and he starts going, "Mommy, call me daddy." Mm-hmm. And why is she doing this? She seems to be into it because he, he's blackmailing her because she would do anything for him too, so she can see her son. He's got her son, but there's no there's no there's no scene that shows that. Oh no, what is it? I mean, no, it it, no, I, no, yeah, I understand why she's doing yeah. it, but her 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 selling it or the director not telling her to sell it. There's no tears here. There's no, there's no. Oh well, okay. I'm gonna fuck this guy in the closet, and but, but it's it. And here's this guy in the closet. She's about to fuck him. Yeah. Then he comes in. He fucks. Well, we don't know what happens. To be fair, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, and then she's going off singing. Which, by the way, she can't sing. God love her, but come on, Miss <laughs> Rosalie, he can't sing. But do you get my point? It's just what. Uh, no, no. I think what what it's portraying there. Is basically hard to range she has become after her husband has been kidnapped and um, basically tortured and had his ear cut off by Frank Booth. Her, and also, she's she's become deeply. She's had some sort of breakdown and her erratic, deeply erratic behavior, where she's jumping from one thing to the other and then she's trying to bed Kyle McLaughlin. Um, it's just basically her basically far down the erratic sort of breakdown rabbit hole she has went. She she's um, basically deranged, but it's down to what has happened to her um, by Frank, essentially. Let, uh, there's it's a, very well portrayed. I think that stuff. Um, yeah. In that, um, because you know, people, you know, again, I don't want to generalize, but it's a, for me anyway. It, it's it's a very realistic portrayal of sort of erratic type behavior that um, can come with mental illness or some form of breakdown. Anyway, I mean, mustard stress as well. I'm the expert. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, kudos if you got that. I mean, <laughs> I guess I can see where you got it from, mm-hmm. but it just you're right. It's to each their own. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah, bland. I think it's, it's I bland. Think, you know what it is? It's bland and ugly. You know, yeah. Well, it's not. And but it's meant no, to be ugly. There's no likable characters besides a couple I mentioned, Laura Dern and the Chief. Well, that's it. Well, I like I mean, Kyle, it, but but yeah, I like Kyle anyway. But uh, yeah, but see, this is the thing about this this film. It, it's meant to be deeply ugly in parts because that's that's sort of the point Lynch is, is making um, see, see with Lynch's films they're not obviously they're not mainstream viewing they're more to be studied as opposed to um, enjoyed for entertainment purposes if that makes sense but yeah I don't um, believe in films that do that I mean I get like, Lynch is basically I mean, a, a sort of very famous sort of art house student type filmmaker essentially yeah I agree with that. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't lie to it, but and it's not—it's certainly not sort of um, for, for the mainstream. But yet, this with the ugliness, ugliness of some of the, particularly some of the, these scenes where it's ramped up, you know, um, to great levels. Um, that's intentional because Lynch is trying to say that basically, I mean, he, even Sandy, Laura Dern's um, character, even explicitly states it. She was, you know, or I mean, the, the repeated line is, "It's a strange world," but. Um, you know, it it's a, it's basically saying in reality, you know, the world is not picture perfect. The world is a horrific, ugly place, but there is some great beauty there as well. And it's like that sort of paradox of those the clash of, you know, the sort of beauty and the ugliness of the world. And I think that was what Lynch was trying to convey. It's fucking. It's you know, this is not. This is as far from sort of mainstream sort of you know entertainment as you're sort of going to get but you know it does it's you know this is to me and this is going to sound pretentious this is like filmmaking as art if you know what i mean 
So <laughs> <laughs> this is not Cobra. <laughs> I want a Cobra. We're still out here. Yo, Dorothy, come here. Mister <laughs> 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 Stallone is Frank Booth. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh my. God. And you have to admit, um, regardless of the character being so unpleasant and deeply unten- intense, Hopper is brilliant. See, that's the problem. I don't see it as intense. Oh no, he's fucking deeply, deeply intense. You know what I mean? I don't. I don't see it. I wasn't at all. Uh, at all. I wasn't bored. Yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah. And most of the stuff I would be. I wasn't bored because he always peppers in good character, uh, funny, different characters. Yeah. But at the end of the day, this is not a thriller. Like they call it. It's filmed the This wire. is not. It's a mystery. Is, not even. What's the mystery? And if you are telling me that the fucking mystery is the man in the photograph with the with the uh, the mustache, that's fucking Dennis Hopper. I know that there. Yeah, that's revealed later on. Well dressed man. Yeah. Yes. Uh, no, no, no. The the mystery is about basically the. What's the, the mystery? What is, what the is severed the ear? This? The severed ear and the, the That was her husband. They they he even mentioned that. Yeah, and then that's the plot progresses, and he gets he gets deeper into the mystery of you know, um, Frank Booth and you know Dorothy and all of that. It's just very subtly handled. You know what I mean? Not a mystery. It's not a mystery. Let's get that out of the way. Well, even not. even Kyle McLaughlin's There's character nothing here to it. guess. <laughs> There's nothing here to guess. Uh, There's oh, nothing. I don't know. Um, the first time the first time you watch it, like it's it's quite shocking and quite sort of what the fuck is going on here in a in a mystery. We're sort of you know the first time I watched this, you know, There's years ago was um, you know you're sort of thrown right into the, into this weird world and this weird what is actually happening here? You know what is going on here? Who is this guy Frank Booth? Who's Dorothy Valens with all her crazy over the top sort of um, behaviors and stuff? You know, so you're as a viewer certainly, uh, and I fi- I uh, will always swear by Lynch's films improve on repeat viewings. Um, you know, you're throwing right slap bang. I mean, when I rewatched this for the podcast, I was, I was fucking, it mesmerizes me. It hypnotizes oh me. And I know that sounds pretentious, I, I, but I'm just I, being I, honest. And, and that's fine. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm the same way. I'm the same way with Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> but, but, but my point is, a mystery has, oh, what's going to happen next? What's, oh, I can't wait to see the twists and turns. You already know. But this is more subtly. Like time, subtly after, no, no, after, let me finish. After he leaves... After she wants to screw him and he witnesses the rape, he leaves and he tells everybody what's going on pretty much. He says, yeah, it looks, yeah, because she got the phone call. So she, he's like, um, okay, he got his uh, husband and kid. That's his ear. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to try to help her. Yes. That's it. There's no mystery. Never has been. That's it. Well, the mystery's over. Well, the mystery's over. Twenty five minutes into the film, it's more. So, it's more. So, it's a two hour film. Yes, and the mystery is revealed twenty five minutes into it. Yeah, but it's more about, um, you know, what exactly, you know, who's behind this, you know, what is it? For for example, um, you find out. You never find out who's behind it. Yes, but you it, find out the you find out the detective Yellow Man is in on it. Yes, okay, and they kill the drug dealer mm-hmm. and throw a hooker out a window, mm-hmm. um, and. That's it. There's Mystery Man in the photograph, and which is clearly Dennis Hopper. Yeah, with a wig and a false mustache on. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, so no. Where's, but but it's, where's it's the more mystery? of a subtle mystery, and it, it's more sort of grounded. Although it's Lynch's sort of surrealist version of the world, it's more for me set in the real world. You know what I mean? This does This feels like it's set. It's, this feels like something that could happen to me or you. Seriously, and um, 
you know, in that, you know, um, you know, there's dark, I mean, I don't want to get too sort of, you know, heavy and philosophical and stuff, but even in my own life, you know, um, I've met someone savoury characters and, um, you know, and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, and I, I totally reinforces my own view that the world is a horrific and dark place and there's some um, horrific, you know, things going on out there. Uh, but there's some great beauty and, and you know, essentially Lynch is saying love conquers all at the very end. Um, you know, now that's a bit sort of a bit too poetic and stuff and a bit too sort of um, you know, all wrapped up in a nice bow. But you know, this feels like something that could happen to me or you in the real world. Whereas opposed to like a classic sort of traditional Hollywood sort of mystery will have all these twists and turns and they're basically, you know, it's a screenplay. But this, yeah. uh, although it's Lynch's surrealist world, it also feels quite grounded as well. It's also, I have to say, a prototype for Twin Peaks. Um, this yeah, but film. that's not a good thing either. Oh, I love well. <laughs> that's another podcast for yeah, another day. Yeah, that's never that podcast is never happening. Fuck <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but my point is that if you've got good, I mean, we we mentioned um, but you bring him again. Tarantino does this three thousand hundred times better. Mm-hmm. Rob Zombie. Well, I won't go that, that that far, but can give you good characters and give you tense. There's no, I mean, come. This is oh, I considered feel the a mystery thriller. This is no mystery and no thriller. No, no, I feel the complete opposite. Um, this is a drama. Yeah. This is a drama about small town USA. Yeah. And the underbelly that you think you see the you know the picket fences. You see the you know yeah. You know, I think smiling happy and barbecues. Yeah. But underneath the layer, there's an ugliness. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. But it's there's no thrill ride. There's no oh my gosh. It's just it's, so, it's subtle and it's well. It's so very well paid. I mean, I, I'd be honest. This film um, does. Um, I feel mesmerized when I'm watching it, and I sort of lose myself within it. It's almost like I'm there <sighs> in the film. Now I know that sounds a bit grand and over the top, but I genuinely do. Even on repeat viewings, like whenever I rewatch it for the podcast, it's it has a real hypnotic sort of power. It's just with all its weirdness, it feels dreamlike, but at the same time. Um, it feels like it's sort of grounded in the real world too. The fact that there's a sort of there's ambiguity there of the you know for, of the time frame whenever it's set as well, sort of also adds to that strangeness. And you know that like you know where am I? You know what you know who are these people? It's just it's very sort of yes, it's very arty and very sort of um, you know you know in a way sort of you know um, artful. But yeah, I mean. It, it, it works for me, but it's not going to work for everyone. And you know what? It That's far work. enough. Yeah, it's not for everybody. I like slasher films. People don't get the fuck why I like them. Because <laughs> they're stupid. Well, I mean, <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I'm a bit you of know? a sort of um, a walking contradiction as well. Because I like my, my sort of my mad shit as well. I like my sort of Cobras and my Rambos as well. So, but yeah. But whenever, you know, but I also like this sort of stuff. So, you know. You know, it, it's this is what I call a WTF movie. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah, I mean that's all you can call it. But I love them. The, the, well, the, I mean, the, there you go. There's the mystery there. It's a what the fuck? What the fuck yeah. is happening? There's your mystery. Uh, and then you see Ben Dean Stockwell. Love that and scene. Yeah, uh, and it's sort and of the, in a way they, I can they never let, listen they let to him that go see again. his. Here's what I don't get: they let him go see her kid. Mm-hmm. Oh no, he does. He does do that because after he gets his ass kicked, yes. Why didn't they kill him? Yeah, that 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 was a bit of a yeah. I, I sort of that that was a bit of a sort of plot cheat, uh, in a way. You know what I mean? No, because it they should have just it killed ends. him. Because once he that's I know where you are. You drove me here. 
Didn't even blindfold them. Yes. And that's where the police go and raid it. You don't see anything. I just see the raid. And then he goes to the, the final showdown. Now, what Hitchcock would have done, and he did it with, beautifully with Grace Kelly in Rear Window, is you put her as becoming the damsel in distress mm-hmm. over Jeff because it would have made it would have been tension. You've got the woman who is the purest. You know, always pay, we talked yes. about that. How she's the the angel of the all this madness going on in the small town. Mm-hmm. You put her in that closet, then you've got something. And then you've got Jeff trying to get to there in time. That would have worked for me. Yes. That would have but, worked. But, but, it, but it also works with me. It also works with me with Jeffrey. But I, I agree that it would have worked as well with Sandy. Um, no. It would have worked better. Mm. You've just built this massive the thing. The thing is, I could relate boiler. more to, um, I, I know he's a bit of a strange character, the Jeffrey character. The um, But I, I don't know. I felt the audience... Could probably relate more to Jeffrey, and it's his story too. You know what I mean? But uh, you know, it would have worked with Laura Dern as well. No, it would have been. Oh, you know, listen, you're not. You're not. You're just thinking it would have worked. Yeah, it would have worked with any character, but it would have. That's it. You have just flipped the tables on us. You put her in Jeff's, you know, seat. That would have been perfect. It, yeah, it would have worked. I, I agree with that. But um, I, I'm quite. I'm more than happy with what we'll get. I'm calling. I'm calling David right now. <laughs> I'm gonna tell him you're gonna reshoot. I've this, told this. I, I have said. told this story many times as well. But I actually was in David Lynch's company about in 2007. He, I heard he's a dick. No, he's actually a complete gentleman. Oh really? Yeah. Um, basically, it was to like 2007, and he was doing a tour about um, transcendental meditation, which he is a big advocate of. And he came to Queen's University in Belfast with Donovan, you know, the, the 60s hippie folk singer, yeah, um, yeah. to promote transcendental meditation. But everybody who went to there, myself included, had no interest in transcendental meditation and just wanted to talk about his films. And to be fair, Lynch was a complete gent and humorous. Uh, no, he, he, he came across as, I mean, as a complete gentleman and very um, emotionally stable and stuff. I mean, some people are supposed to watch his work and say, what the fuck, that guy must be batshit crazy. But he's not. He actually comes across as very down-to-earth and level-headed. All right. That's cool. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just never know because he just, uh, just seems like he'd be a douche. No, no. He, 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 no, I thought he was, you know, a complete gent, you know? All right. He's got this Kubrick. He's got a Kubrick kind of style to him. Yeah, and um, Kubrick was a douche. Everyone knows that. Well, I think it would be uh, Lynch would be maybe less obsessive than than Kubrick, if that you know, um, you know, with like Kubrick doing like a hundred takes for each shot type thing. But yeah, who knows? Yeah. Um. So we talk about the climax, and I do like the fact he was smart enough. Jeff was smart enough. He realized. No wait. Okay, so he's got the uh, the police CB. Mm-hmm. He's in he's in the apartment now. You've got the yellow man standing over the body of the dead husband with the, with the ear. Yes. Was he was he brain dead? Was there something wrong with him? Was he shot in the head? Yeah. Well, part of his brain's hanging out. If you look closely, I saw that. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, he's dead. But why he is standing on his feet still is um, actually actually that's the best shot in the film. It's very that disturbing. Out. Yeah. I was like, is that his brain? I couldn't tell. Yeah. Is that his brain or was that just bad haircut? Yeah. <laughs> is he balding? No, no, it was part but of then, Yeah. So he's yeah. dead, but he's standing up on his feet. So it's really, it, it adds to the strangeness and the weirdness of it all. No, that worked for me because... Oh, no, yeah, no, no. I mean, that in a complimentary way. Yeah. Uh, it's shocking. 
creep scene. Again, God, you should put Laura Dern in this part. But Jeffrey gets the uh, the police scanner or whatever it is. Yeah, the CB. And he finds out that he said, oh, I'm in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. He just did that because he knows that Frank has a walkie-talkie Yes, in. that's right. Because that's revealed in the car when they're taken. Hey, neighbor, we're going for a joyride. That's, that's right. So he, so that was a nice little twist. I like how he played him on that. Yes. So I like how he played him on it. Because Frank um, then comes in and goes, neighbor, you stupid fuck. I, you forgot I had a CB, but he didn't. So it was like he was like sort of one ahead of yeah. Frank. Uh, oh, man, you should have put Laura Dern in there. Oh, man. It's just you could have really had something. Mm. But, but, you know, but actually, I was thinking about just while we were talking. I was thinking about what you're saying about Laura Dern. But also, say if Laura Dern, I mean, maybe this would be too dark for the film's big sort of Love Conquers All finale. But say Laura Dern was to maybe was in the closet at the end. And uh, maybe got um, you know, she was badly hurt or worse, killed, um, by Frank. That would have added to the trauma and the character arc of Jeffrey greatly. You know, and he would have you know, totally blamed himself because you know this was all his fault. But again, it would he wouldn't have had the sort of love conquers all ending with the yeah, fake the robot bird. bird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I but what would even better would have been. Uh, if Jeff actually shot her in the closet thinking it was Frank or something. Accidentally or something, yeah. yeah. Um, but we didn't get that. But what I was talking about, what works better with Hitchcock style, and this guy was, obviously, Lynch was, we talked about all the, the films from the, the Noirs years. Yes. But very, this is a lot, very De Palma even, mm-hmm. Hitchcock. Yeah. De Palma, Billy Wilder kind of stuff mm-hmm. he's got here. And what worked, we talked about the, with Grace Kelly, where we know was she had to go to the killer's apartment. That's right. And he can see Him the killer Burr. coming. Yeah. He's, um, and he's and he's trying to, fl- you know, tell her. Yeah. Without screaming. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> Get out of the apartment. Mm-hmm. And that was just, and it's black and well, there's nothing, you know, violence, nothing. It's intense. Yeah. And you could have taken this. And you've got all this what the fuck moment. What the fuck am I? What the fuck? What the yeah. Fuck? The, whole film, yeah. the whole film is a what the fuck. What the fuck. What the fuck. Mm-hmm. But that ending, if you switched it on us, yeah, you would have had me. Mm-hmm. You would. I would have said you have. You got me. You, mm-hmm. you killed the innocent girl, or she saves the day. Yeah. Either way, you had me. Just take Jeff out of that closet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean that, that's. A, I would sort of. I, I, that, that's a completely reasonable and fair point. I'm not going to argue with that. That would have worked greatly as well. I'm still happy with what we do get, but a lot of people are. I mean, this is getting 7.79 IMBD. Yeah, it is praised. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, you know, yeah. so, so a lot of the sort of um, you know the at the time whenever it was released, it was deeply divisive. Like a lot of Lynch's stuff, it's acquired more of a fan base over time, but it was strongly criticised at the time. Um, and uh, you know a lot of people were disgusted by it, you know by the likes of you know especially with the um you know the scene with um Dorothy and Frank you know with you know the gas mask and stuff and mm-hmm. also the scene which is quite um disturbing were uh, quite disturbing for Isabella Rossellini as a woman you know where she staggers onto the grass you know and Jeffrey's front lawn yeah well, he's about to get into the and fight she's with. naked you know completely exposed you know um and that um you know i know a lot of critics at the time had big issues with that you know um now siskel and ebert i remember watching 
one of their um, their reviews of it on YouTube, you know, in recent years, but it was from the time that it was released. And it was um, Ebert who, who felt that this was disgusting and stuff. However, Siskel um, argued that, no, no, the actress would have consented to this. So, you know, this is fiction. Chill out, basically. You know, but yeah, yeah, but 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 Cisco is the one who says Friday Thirteenth was softcore porn. Yeah, well, they were always you know, they, so they were fuck and they also so. um, they also called so. out um, you know one of our favorite films as well. Um, they were huge critics of one of our um, favorite films, um, Silent Night, Deadly Night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, uh, but you know what? You know what? That's the end of Blue Velvet here. We, um, yeah, you know, you know, it is what it is. I think it's highly, highly overrated. It's not his best work. To me, we just talked about it. Wild at Heart is a much better film. Um, Defoe was supposed to be in this, but he ended up doing Platoon. And thank God, because I love Platoon. That's my favorite Defoe role. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but he ended up doing Wild at Heart. It's a, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I mean, I have f- films of Lynch that I am more of a fan of. Like, for example, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me and maybe even Mulholland Drive as well and Lost Highway. But yeah, I mean, it's... A razor head, you know, it's it's you know batshit crazy, um, but I love it too. Uh, the Elephant Man, which is on a, a, a more linear Lynch film, yeah. So yeah, there's a lot to choose I mean, from with Lynch. With Blue, with Blue Velvet, you've got competency obviously behind the lens. You've yes. got a good cinematographer behind the lens. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, David Lynch behind the lens. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got you know, uh, well besides Kyle MacLachlan, pretty solid cast. I love but, Kyle, but, but just, yes, just, go ahead. Just, just, what ruins it for me is that you've got these over-the-top characters and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. It's kind of bland. There's no tension. Uh, there's no mystery. You pretty much know right away in the first 25 minutes what's going on. Um, so it was, if you want to see a film in this era, see Body Double, Brian, with Brian De Palma's Body Double I really liked, which is kind of a copy of Rear Window. Blood Simple by the Coen Brothers. Eyewitness with Sigourney Weaver and William Hurt is a good film. Those, those Sigourney kind of Weaver kind of was actually up for the role of Dorothy Valens in this. There's no way she would have taken it. No, no, she wanted to take it, but she was tied up with another project. Probably Eyewitness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> or Aliens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Aliens probably. Um, uh-huh. So that's what I got from it. No, I appreciate I love it. it. But yes. I appreciate it. I, I wasn't bored. I thought the, uh, the, the actors I did like in it were very good, uh, especially Dean Stockwell mm-hmm. and Dennis Hopper. And the supporting cast, Lower Dern. Mm-hmm. I thought the two leads were not very good. Uh, Kyle MacLachlan is so boring. And but at the end of the day, it's it's not a train wreck like I thought it would be. But it left me disappointed because they could have really you should have put her in the closet. Well, you know we all know I, I'm a huge fan of this film on Lynch, so it's all been said before. I love it, and I find it um, deeply intense. And as I said earlier, um, I was just thinking whenever I watched it. Um, you know, rewatched it for the, for the podcast. Uh, um, the thoughts I would have on it, it's hypnotic. It mesmerizes me. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you know where I stand anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, we know. We know. It's all been Trust me, before. we fucking know. <laughs> uh, listen, guys, thanks for joining us this one. This was a long time coming to get this one. Now. Yeah. Um, this is this was more of a sort of um, citizen frame goes serious, more highbrow, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what I, I don't I don't know if I like this direction. <laughs> <laughs> it's a one off. <laughs> yeah, this is professionalism we're talking. Yeah, about. exactly. A professionalism is uh, not an option. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Thanks for listening, guys. We greatly appreciate, as usual, downloads and uh, followers have picked up this week. Again, as usual, you want to follow us, it's around Citizen Frame underscore podcast. And, of course, on Facebook. Uh, we're starting to get into fan picks. And, and uh, so feel free to hit us on Facebook and Instagram. If there's a film you want to want us to do, we'll shortly try to get to it. And if you, if you agree or disagree with this review of Blue Velvet, fire away. Come at us with guns blazing. Let us know. And... Uh, We'll certainly respond back and maybe even get you on a podcast to argue. That'd be oh, fun. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Trevor, the new issue of Phantasmagoria, are you working on that now? Yes, Is that it's correct? coming soon. It will be a, a special, Phantasmagoria special number six, um, dedicated to the life and work of Brian Lumley, the um, great sort of novelist and sort of, you know, he's written short story collections and all sorts. So that'll be out um, the first week of May. There you go. Get your spring reading in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) All right, guys. You take care of yourselves, and we'll chat soon. All the best.